and this was actually when I thought of like maybe I should change um, my 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 living in and change to to being an artist instead of being a scientist and to try to tell the story in a different way so not only from a scientific perspective so not only about numbers and graphs but also try to make the stories more emotional and to make it visual and to actually show people what it means when we are losing a specific species. Hello everybody and welcome to... Do I need school to be? I'm Alex and I'm going to sit down and have great conversations with people because we're all diverse, we're all different, we all have different ways of learning and I want to ask people how they learned to do the things they do. Yeah, sounds random, sounds fun, I hope it does because here we go! Hi everyone, if this audio sounds a little weird, I apologize, it's been a week um, and it's only Tuesday when I'm editing this, so yeah, bear with me. I, I promise it will get better. The rest of the interview was recorded on my regular setup. But yeah, in this episode, I have the awesome Rafael Martich. Rafael is a great artist. He actually comes from the field of science, which is something that I haven't had on the podcast before. So I'm very excited to talk to him and to have you listen to it. So he's somebody who is inspired by nature. He's really influenced by it. He has a lifelong love for conservation, for protecting our planet. And he decided that the best way to do it was through art, making data emotional. And I just love that. I think it's amazing. And But I will let him tell you his story. And here's my conversation with Rafael Marte. Yeah, well, hello, Rafael. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's very nice for me to be here and to tell about my story of ending up as a visual artist. I'm doing fine, thanks. It was a busy day as well, but it's good to have now a, a nice chat about my, uh, yeah, about my experience and my, my uh, how do you say it, like my journey of becoming an illustrator or like an artist and doing all kinds of weird things. So, yeah. People do love talking about themselves. It's fun. <laughs> I guess so, right? <laughs> well, usually I, I sit in my own studio and I just work on my own. So for me, it's also nice to talk with someone about what I'm doing. So it's good to have the, the different things on one day. Yes. <laughs> oh, I would love to see your studio. I am so curious about people's workspaces, especially art artists, because it can be so like some people go like super my, my cousins it's in Paris. It's crazy. It's just <laughs> a construction site. But then when he explains that it makes sense. Yeah. It's like every it's like every he needs to see everything at the same time. He doesn't have drawers. Everything needs to be exposed. Oh, that's cool. And it's yeah. crazy. My place also it's like crammed up with also like um stuffed birds and like eggs and like all kind of natural things that I brought into my studio and then the wall is full of paintings and there's paper and like paints everywhere. So it's nice chaotic chaotic, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, so let's begin. Tell the audience who you are and what you're currently working on. Thank you. So my name is Rafael Martich, as introduced already, and I'm a visual artist. And I'm actually not Dutch either. So I'm I'm only like partly Dutch, and for the rest I'm Swiss. So I'm also like a foreigner living in the Netherlands. But I... and here I am making assumptions. I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> and currently I'm mainly working on projects um, um, with the theme of like conservation issues. So I have studied biology as well. And I'm mainly working on projects where I try to combine the scientific story with um, with my art. So in a way to, yeah, to tell a different story and to tell a story in a different way. And I'm very like um, occupied with bringing my life um, 
um well oh sorry i don't know how to say this um i should do this again <laughs> no it's great i love it it's so spontaneous it's real this is the real deal <laughs> yeah um yeah i'm very busy with like trying to keep my life on track in a way that it it doesn't have a big like footprint on the earth so i'm very i'm conscious about what i'm doing and what i'm doing with traveling and what materials i use so i try to be um yeah to, to to decrease my footprint in a way and it's quite hard as an artist because you need a lot of materials it's it is it truly yeah. is but i think it's it's good if you tell stories about like climate change for example as i do you you can't tell the story and then on the other hand do other other things that that like go go against it so so yeah it's, you have to find some kind of a balance in that and I'm trying very hard to do so and to inspire people to do the same here. It truly is a journey. You should, um, not that I'm promoting my own podcast while recording a podcast, uh, but one of my early episodes is uh, Emma Fanning, who is a green graphic designer and she teaches oh. green graphic design. And when she started her career, she also came from an academic background. She wanted to be yeah. a curator at a museum and she talked in a big conference and said like what if I wanted to do green graphic design and she was told there's no money there like don't do yeah. it make a lot of money first and then you can like mm -hmm. dedicate yourself to saving the planet and she's proving them wrong so you should definitely check, check that out she has a lot of helpful tips and good practices for how to be a low footprint artist so oh, great. Yeah. yeah there I, I am yeah. sneaking stuff in that's <laughs> that's how I apparently I make the show now I'm sorry that's great I, Honestly, yeah. the reason that I was so excited to have you on the show, it's because you're the perfect example of combining the two polar opposites and I'm making huge air quotes because yeah. we have this idea that if you're artistic, you don't have the science. -y. And if you have if you have the science, -y, you're not creative. Yeah. And I'm so excited to learn how you not how you came to be, because I'm guessing that has a lot to do with your I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's involved, but yeah okay how, how did you get here yeah Jesus so basically Christ. i studied biology first i did my 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 bachelor's and my master's in leiden in the netherlands and i was mainly focusing on all these conservation issues and then for my last project i i went to ameland this is one of the the small islands we have in the north of the netherlands and i studied a, a specific type of wader bird it was the oyster catcher and Actually, we know already for 40 years that they are decreasing rapidly, as the same as for uh, godwits and lapwings. And I was there to study one of the reasons why they decline. It was a minor reason why they decline, because it was about like when the density is going down, then they help each other. Well, let's phrase it differently. They <laughs> they help each other to to uh, to repel the, the predators that eat the eggs when they're breeding because they mm -hmm. breed on the same spots like in the grasslands and if the density is high they are very well capable of, of deterring the the predators like girls for example but as soon as the, the density is, is getting down then they they are yeah then they are not as well able to do so anymore so then they get this negative spiral and they keep going down in numbers and the density so this was a minor thing because the, the main reasons why they're going down is because like the landscape is changing totally in the Netherlands and how we treat the agricultural lands is, lands is different. So I was quite 
I don't know. It was like a a, a pivot point for me that I certain I, I suddenly realized that um, we know already for 30, 40 years why they're going down, but still we can't do anything about it or we try to do so, but it, it, it's not happening in a way. And I felt very useless <laughs> to be a scientist and to study something which also tells you why they're going down, but it's not the main reason why they're going down. And this was actually when I thought of like, maybe I should change um, my, my, my living in, and change to, to being an artist instead of being a scientist and to try to tell the story in a different way. So not only from a scientific perspective, so not only about numbers and graphs, but also try to make the stories more emotional and to make it visual and to actually show people what it means when we are losing a specific species. Wow. That's incredible. It It is especially because I, I totally agree. I think that you're right. People, you can throw numbers at people all yeah. day long, but it's, it isn't until you humanize them and you make them tangible that it becomes actually, it, it has an actual impact. Yeah. And that's why we ignored climate change for so long until they're like, yeah, now there are floods and people are actually suffering. It's like, oh, so now it's a thing. We yeah. knew about it for years. We just, it's like, it's in the future. It's not today. It's not here. And that's super interesting. And how did, did you, okay. And how did the artistic side come? Because your paintings are extremely realistic and you use real materials. You're not using photo, like if you told me you were painting with Photoshop, I would say like, okay, you can learn Photoshop on YouTube, but the skills that you're using are very hands-on. It's very Thank analog. So, so how do you learn? How do you learn all that? Um, well, I've been drawing and painting my entire life. Like my grandfather was also in a way an artist and I, I used to go out with him and draw and paint. And also on holidays, when we went to Switzerland to my family, for example, we would sit down somewhere and don't take pictures, but like, start drawing and painting with watercolors and so I've been drawing and painting my entire life and also during my studies I did a minor at the at the art academy in The Hague oh cool it was not not a drawing and painting but it was more photography but it was about like not the technical technical part of photography but more like the the way like how do you tell a story like what should you include and whatnot and how can you make a story more strong so um, I've been busy with that for a long time. And um, yeah, and I, now I also push myself to, to draw and to, to keep improving. And yeah, I think that's the, the, the main thing that you should, if you want to do something, just do it and do it over and over again. And I think that really helps. I just heard a story of, of someone, and probably it's not a real story. It's a, probably a <laughs> fake story, but it, I, I often tell it to people. Um, when they hesitate to start drawing, for example, this is a story about a, an art class. I think it was ceramics or pottery. And then the teacher divided the group in two. Like one group was um, supposed to make like as many uh, cups or like plates or whatever. And the others were, they were urged to only make like one thing, but it should be perfect. It should be like the best. So like they started, they had like half a day or something and um, the, the, the half the group that were supposed to make only like the, the quality piece, they would start over and over again with the same piece and try to improve. And the other ones, they just started by making and then, then making the next one and the next one. And at the end of the day, the, the group that 
were actually supposed to make the most also made the best quality in the end because they just made so many and they started over and over again and improved a lot while the on the others they they were stuck at at the same place and they didn't dare to do it differently and i think that's really important just to take the time to just start doing it and keep trying and i think then you improve a lot yeah yeah i always i i like to always think it can get worse like yeah. you cannot get like practice will never make you worse at something yeah it can only go up i, I I talk a lot about CrossFit a lot on this podcast, but I compare it a lot. I started doing CrossFit November of last year, mm -hmm. and I am terrible at it. I am generally terrible at it, but I just keep telling myself, I cannot get worse. Like, I cannot get worse at box jumps. I cannot get worse at lifting. Mm -hmm. I, even if it's like a tiny improvement, yeah. I can only get better. And I think that applies to a lot of things in life. Like you said, yeah. just do the thing. Worst case scenario, you get a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the same for me. Like, I wasn't very used to do portraits, for example, but I now got this booklet. And actually, I just saw that you had, like, and I listened to it. You had a previous podcast with Paper Republic, like the, the founder of it. And I have a Paper Republic booklet that I use and take everywhere now. And I just, whenever I'm, I'm, whenever I'm in the train or something, I have oh, this yeah. one. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I have this one. I have another one over there. It's a, it's a disease. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a disease. <laughs> yeah, so I have this one booklet and I take it wherever I go. So whenever I'm in the train or waiting somewhere, then I have this booklet and I just draw the people around me or whatever I see. And this work really works for me. It took me some time to get into it and just do it and don't be afraid of people like looking at it. And But just go for it and start drawing and... In the end, you will improve in that way because you just make so much and that, that helps a lot. Yeah. Are you ever afraid of offending anybody? Because you cannot offend a bird with your drawing. The bird is <laughs> not going to know. But are you ever afraid that because it has happened to me, like I, I did it for a long time and I want to get back into it now that I'm taking the train more often to go to Amsterdam for work. And but I always get so worried. What if they see it and they're like, that's not me? It's like. I haven't uh, had these problems yet, but most of the people actually don't get to see it because most of the people are like on their phone and a few of them are reading a book. So they, they don't even notice that you're <laughs> drawing them. Sometimes the occasional one sees it and then I either apologize because I'm looking <laughs> to them all the time. Over, and, and, and yeah, often they, they, they just want to see what I'm drawing and they, they actually like it or take, or take a picture or something. So it's, yeah, I, yeah. It's it's good to just share it. I think I I often hesitate to to go up to someone and tell them, look, I I drew you, but maybe I should do that more. And probably some people don't like it, and others do. So that's that's it, I guess. <laughs> I think it will be a fun exercise to just see, like record it and be like, this is what happened. It was awful, or this is yeah. what happened. It was great. Do it. And so my next question is, how you became fascinated with birds? Because it's the central piece of your work it's from your studies as well what where did that come from and i say this as somebody who doesn't trust birds <laughs> i i am afraid of seagulls i have a deep fear of seagulls i don't trust swans mm. they they're just too violent for me yeah but other I, birds are nice. I, I actually last year i also did i still did do some field work every now and then and i worked with girls on Tessel <laughs> on one of the other islands so i had a lot of them in my hands and yeah, I don't know the fascination. I think it started when I was a kid. I I just really liked being outside and and looking at everything that moved around or like everything that was growing somewhere. 
So I was not only interested in birds, but also in plants and everything. But what I really liked about birds is how they, they sing and how they make music. Both my parents are violin makers, so like the, the music is, is in my family. And I really like how these birds make their own music. And then during my studies, I, I also studied birds. And somehow I ended up doing all kinds of projects about birds. It was not intentional, but it just happened in a way, I guess. <laughs> and now, yeah, I... I, I stuck with that a bit, and everyone knows me as the guy who loves birds. <laughs> but I'm not afraid of them at all. So, yeah. and I like how they how they have um, very like interesting stories. Like you have these birds that migrate all over the world, even long before we even uh, traveled with per boats, like to the New World, for example. These birds were flying around the world uh, for for centuries already, and millions of years actually <laughs> um, and I like those kind of stories but also how they um, how they have their own personalities I guess because I've I've been been working with them on on Ameland with these oyster catchers and then you actually start to know uh, specific birds because we we banded them so we knew which bird was which bird and but then also you start to notice differences in the behavior that one is very aggressive all the time while the other one is always waiting on the, at a distance until you're gone again. And yeah, I really like that to see birds not as a species, but start seeing them as individuals as well. And I think that's a, that was a major step in my thinking, I guess. Also, when you're in the in, in your garden, for example, or if you, you look out of your flat and you have this this uh, robin, for example, singing there. It's often it, that's not the, the it's not a random robin. It's often the same one that comes by every day, and that's quite interesting to start realizing that. Yeah. And here I was thinking that only crows do did that. No, most of them are very territorial, and they, yeah, probably they know you as well. I guess. <laughs> Jesus, no! Like I always thought, like. Like if George Orwell Orwell's uh, Animal Farm came to reality, I thought like the birds are gonna run us all. The the <laughs> birds. It's I was watching this video the other day about how crows are domesticating wolves in the U.S. How they're using tools, and I thought first of all there's a there's a movie there. There's a Disney animated movie in that idea <laughs> of a crow domesticating a, a wolf, but also, yeah, they're getting smart. They remember faces. They can tell other birds that you are not about a good person. So be a good person to all animals, not just birds, to all animals. We yeah. are, in the end, we're passengers in their journey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a really cool fascination to have. Yeah. There is this guy on YouTube, there's a Dutch guy who rescues birds. Oh, I don't know I'm, him. Yeah, I'm forgetting his name. I will send you the link because I love his videos. <laughs> and cool. it's it's like rescues animals, mostly birds. It's really fascinating. <laughs> but yeah, back to the podcast. Yeah, I'm not only working with birds. I'm also like fascinated by my plants. For example, I did a project on on these pavement plants. These are yes. like the, the plants that grow everywhere between different types of pavements. And I actually started with this idea when I was doing this uh, minor at the art academy in in uh, the Hague. I started uh, making pictures of these these just these square tiles that you have, and to see what's around these tiles and to like make an inventorization of all the plants and and insects and everything that lives on this one tile just to to uh, yeah to, to to make you think about how much nature there is in in the cities even at such a small scale and if you then like 
look at the entire city, there's so much nature to be found. And then I thought this would work as well for paintings. So I made a series of six paintings, big ones, one by one meter, where I had these different types of, of uh, pavement with the, their associated plants that grow in between them. And then you have like these geometric forms of all the different um, types of tiles. And then you have the organic plants that grow in, in between them. And I think it's also really nice to tell them the story that these plants, of course, have a function in the city as well, because they um, they keep the water. So when it's very warm, they evaporate the water. So um, it has a cooling effect on the city, but it also attracts like uh, insects and they, and they, on their term, uh, attract birds again. So you get this whole biodiversity uh, yeah, getting on. So I think it's it's really important that now more and more people leave their plants in the cities as well. And yeah, I think by, by painting them, um, you, you make people realize what there is around you. Cause if you t just take a picture of it, then people will think, Oh, it's just a picture of some random part. But if you actually s see that someone took a lot of time to actually paint it all, then people might think, uh, look at it in a different way and think, well, he, he really took his time to paint it, so it might be worth looking at. And I hope that when people see these paintings, that when they go outside, then they will look as well at their environment. I think they will, because I definitely did. Honestly, when I saw the project on your website, I thought, that's a picture. That's cool. Oh, and I generally thought you made the tile, like you build a tile and then you took a picture of it. And I thought, oh, that's a great creative tile. But then I realized, oh, this is a painting. This is a painting. <laughs> these these shadows are made of one. It's it's. I was I was impressed. I was shocked. I was <laughs> flabbergasted. Would be the right word. Thank you so much. But I also focus on people. Like I just did a project um, about about climate change because I'm very yeah. Um, oh, how do you say this? Yeah, I also did a project on on people. I was um, present at a climate march in Amsterdam last year in November. And I really wanted to do something with it, but I wasn't sure what. And I thought about like maybe a series of portraits of people that were there. But then I I um, re uh, remembered that I that I um, kept my my voting pencil from last time. And in the Netherlands, you get this red voting pencil to vote. And and last year, at some um, some parts, you could you could actually take it home with you. So I I took it home and I thought maybe I can use it for something. So I decided to to ask around like all my friends and on Instagram if if anyone were, was there at the climate march and had pictures of themselves being there and if I could use them as a reference. So I collected like hundreds of pictures of people who were there and then I bought this large paper scroll. It was like um, 60 centimeters high and 10 meters long and I used my pencil. I just thought I just start drawing and I, I keep drawing until my pencil is finished and I draw all these people that were there um, to make, to tell the story about like, what is your vote and what do you do with your vote? And actually in Dutch, uh, vote means uh, is stem, it's called stem. Mm -hmm. And stem is not only vote, but also voice. So yeah. it's actually quite nice how you, um, yeah, to make people realize what you can do with your, with your vote, with your voice. You can either like vote in the elections, but you can also use your voice to talk to people and to, 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 to tell them what you're worried about, for example, but you can also use your, your, your STEM to, to draw something and to use it in your art project. So I did this and I, in the end, I, I drew for like 
four and a half meters, I, I think. Jesus. And then my pencil was finished. So I have now this work where the last five and a half meters are empty. And this is also good because your, vo your voice is also limited in a way. So um, I, I drew, um, I don't know how many people, I didn't count them actually, but these are all people that were there at, at the climate march. And it will soon be at an exhibition um, in, in Zwolle. Um, it's called the Climate Expo. And it's, a, it's an exhibition about climate change. And there will be a lot of artists um, presenting their work there. And it was selected to be there as well. So I'm very happy to be part of that exhibition. That's so cool. I'm going to definitely make a note of that and include it in the show notes because I'm sure that it will be a sight to see. Cool. Oh, that's so cool. And can I ask, like, why did you move to the Netherlands? Like, what, what, what brought you here? Um, well, my parents both uh, are violin makers, so they, mm -hmm. they, they did their education in, in Switzerland, in Brienz. And then they actually started working in France um, so I was born in France, in Caen, in Normandy. Mm -hmm. And then when I was only like about one years old, we moved to the Netherlands. So, so like my, <laughs> my, my uh, foreign experience is not that big, but <laughs> I, I've been a lot to Switzerland, of course, because I have a lot of family there. But yeah, I ended up here because my mom wanted to go back to the Netherlands because she grew up here. Yeah. That's so cool. Hey, you, you also have an immigrant story. I have, yeah. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. That's so cool. So you come from a, a family of artists. Your grandfather was a very big influence on you. Like what what other what else shaped you? And who are your teachers? And when I say teachers, I mean it can really be anything. It can be an experience, it can be a place, it can be a human being that taught you something. It can be anything. Like what who would you say like were your biggest influences like when you're thinking of one of these projects like whose voice do you hear in the back of your head yeah i think for me it's mainly the being outside in nature and see and looking around i think that's the most important um and i think that's partly because i was trained as a biologist like the first year you were only looking at everything that you get you have to draw everything and i have this my girlfriend gets sometimes annoyed with me when we walk outside and like I'm I'm always like pointing things out and looking at stuff <laughs> and then when we're in a conversation then sometimes I get I drift off and I end up somewhere else but um I think that's the main thing and I I spent half a year in um studying in Canada in Vancouver and I think there as well I I became very aware of the yeah the impact we humans have on the world and I think that is one of the most, uh, yeah, most um, important things that pushes me in in doing what I do, I guess. Because I expected when I went when we went to Canada, I expected to to find like rough, untouched nature in a way. But when we were there, I realized that like all the forests there, they were almost all clear cut, like 150 years ago, for example, and you could still see see the remains of it, and. I, I wasn't I've, I had never been outside of Europe before and it suddenly made the world very small for me I guess and I realized like like the impact of, of us humans is is everywhere and I think this teach yeah this taught me in a way to 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 live in a different different way and also try to to tell this story to to others yeah that's so cool sounds like, sounds very impactful and and it truly is, is 
I remember I went to Egypt a couple years ago with my family and we went scuba diving. And for me, I was so impacted by the fact that I could see more plastic than I could see fish. Yeah. Like for like I was diving and I could see like a lot of hair ties, like the ones that I, that I use every day. And that's when I decided to like just stick to one hair tie. Like I use one hair tie until it snaps and I don't buy another one. And you can always find them on the street. You can find them in gyms. You can find them for free anywhere. And that was the thing for me was that I was seeing more non-ocean objects in the ocean. than I was actually seeing fish. And it's a sad truth that we are having a negative impact, but. That's why people like who do your type of work like are so useful and valuable because you bring us back to like, oh yeah, I have a responsibility on this planet to leave it hopefully a little bit better than I found it, even if it's just my neighborhood or my house. Yeah, I hope I I have some kind of impact with my work, but I don't think it will be a huge impact, but I think I can this is the the part where I can do something and I hope it's contributes in a way and gets people thinking about stuff and talking about it i think that's the most important for me yeah totally and then the next question oh it's always like you as a teacher it's because we're all teaching somebody something at some point and we'll have different teaching styles and our ways to share how do we contribute to um i'm calling it the collective intelligence even though it sounds very culty it's not meant to be culty it's just this pool of knowledge that we all share and i wanted to ask like how how do you feel about that how do you think you share it do you see yourself as somebody who is adding to it or contributing or well or, i guess already you answered this question already but still yeah i think the contributing like in teaching um when you take it very literally i'm not like teaching how to draw or something or anything like that but um i might be doing that by the way i I've had, I have some things coming up maybe where I can actually start teaching, but for me, it's not, um, that will not be my, my main thing, I guess. Cause I, I want to focus on like telling stories and about, um, yeah, get people to know about certain things that they didn't know before. And I think that's, that's important. And I think science is, is, is the basis for this, of course, cause I, I will keep telling stories. I think that are based on science and that have, that have these numbers behind it and that that are proven scientifically and but but still these numbers don't say everything because it's also about like how you interpret them and how you um what you do with them of course in the end like a lot of things will be a political choice and i think in that way um my teaching will be more in in like showing people um what's happening and what we, we might be able to do to 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 like go in a different direction in a way yeah that's so cool i heard this quote the other day i don't know from whom it was uh numbers don't lie but they also don't always tell you the full story yeah and there was this um artist I, i i'm so bad with names um they made a vr installation to uh talk about how many people had died on the i think it was the armenian genocide because we have the numbers, like we know the numbers. Yeah. But what he did was to create different rooms in which you can see, it was kind of gory. Its its goal was to be, was to shock people. And you would see piles and piles and piles of bodies. And to say like, when we say like 500 people, it's not the same as when you see 500 bodies. And then another room, they were standing and then they would sit down, they would fall to the ground and stuff like that. It was to create, to 
give you a number, but again, make it tangible and make it real and make you actually feel something, mm. which yeah. is so valuable. Yeah. yeah, I think that's exactly what I, what is important, I guess, because I think for some people it works very well to just give the numbers and they can realize it. But other people, they work in a different way. And I think we all work in a different way. And for some, it's it's very it's very good to tell it in a different way and make it visual and let people like emotionally be involved with it. And I think then art is a, is a great way to tell a story, but I don't think it's the only way that we should tell stories in. I think using science is, uh, keeps, uh, will be like the uh, very important way to, to tell these stories. But sometimes I'm a little bit afraid that like science will be only seen as like a, an opinion, for example, also what you see happening in the US, for example, um, during the last years that that how this climate change uh, was was seen only as an opinion or like, and yeah, that people didn't believe it in a way. And I, I think that's really weird because because <laughs> in the end, like science is is proving it. And and I really hope that we can yeah tell this and in, in a lot of different ways, also with music and with theater, for example. And I think it's really important to use all these different types of media to, to show the, the, the stories. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's, that's the point. It's that some people don't just don't have the educational level to understand science or they don't have the openness to understand science. And that's where the medium comes in. It's like, how do I make you understand this? And that's where we miss a lot in communication, that it's not just about saying things, it's about the other person understanding it. Being yeah. like, okay, is this person somebody that's going to need, going to be a more visual yeah. information absorb absorber? Are they going to need sound? Are they going to need an interview? Is the, does this need to come from somebody that they trust? And that's the key. That's the question. It's it's not just what are we what are we saying? It's like, how are we saying it? Yeah. I have a, I have a question that came to my mind. Which is your dream medium? Like if you if I gave you right now a hundred thousand euros, which what would what would you spend it with? Like which would be your dream medium? And there is no carbon footprint to this. I'm guaranteeing that there's no carbon footprint. You can do whatever you want. No carbon footprint. A hundred thousand euros. Go. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, the opportunities. Yeah. Well, for me, it's it's. I always try to find like a. Uh, collaboration with like a, a scientific institute for example or with like a museum so i think there's a lot of interesting research groups and museum out there where i would love to do something and to to tell a story but i think the story should evolve in like the the, the collaboration so I, I don't have like a clear answer on this <laughs> but i think that there um well i i have been um thinking about a project for some time now and that is how 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 like biodiversity is is uh yeah decreasing in in many places and um if you look historically then there were often artists that went on these um um how do you say it like these new adventures to to find uh, new species and stuff like that and i think that would be nice to do that again and to to involve artists in these kind of expeditions mm-hmm. um, but then I also realized that not only the, the the species are getting extinct, but also the 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 feeling of being in like undisturbed nature. That's also something that is vanishing. And 
And I think this is also something that would be very interesting to, in a way, portray, like to 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 see how people react to these kind of places and to to make a collection of them and like to, in a way, like make them visual and see what it actually means for people to be in a place where there's um, only nature around them and see how they react on it and what their what the influence influences in both directions. I think that would be really interesting to 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 portray that in a way i don't know if it makes so, sense it's very that vague. would be so cool no that would be so cool and i immediately go to like vr like how do you make a, a very realistic vr experience you actually somebody enters a booth or how can you create it with objects how can you like create yeah. it with like multi-sensorial stimulation yeah because yeah, it would be nice to make some kind of collection of it but then also to make it available to others to to experience that and that they can have this experience without going to to Borneo, for example, or like mm -hmm. a, a weird place somewhere far away. And yeah, Iceland. That Who be, knows? Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. There is this uh, this show that I'm really enjoying right now. It's uh, Walking Wild, I think, with Bear Girls. It's on Discovery Channel. Mm -hmm. And as like, and he's a nature lover, survivalist, all the things. Yeah. So he takes a famous person with him to do a, a walk. It could be like three days or four days or whatever. And it's just amazing to see these people who come from usually cities and stuff like that interact with nature. And they do it with a lot of fear, but also with a lot of amazement. It's just mm. being amazed at the fact they have seen, they have never seen mountains like that, or they have never seen... Yeah water so much water or so many colors and stuff like that i had that the first time that i went to austria that i had never seen mountains that high so close to me mm -hmm. and it's that feeling that suddenly you're you're very very small well, that's, that's how i felt i felt like i was tiny and yeah. it was a sense of completeness and joy so yeah it would be really cool to see if you could actually make a project in which people can feel that or see how they feel yeah yeah i was very lucky beginning of this year i was on fair isle it's a scottish island mm -hmm. and it's the most remote inhabited island of the uk i think there's about 50 to 60 people living on the island cool. and there's an art residency there so i was there for two weeks to to work on a project or to come up with a nice project because next year i will go back for an entire month to do a project and it was so nice it's like a very tiny island it's like a few kilometers by by a few kilometers it's like it's a rock in the middle of the sea with a lot of birds and it's it's a very um yeah it's a beautiful place to be and i'll go back there now to make a story about puffins i don't know if you know them these i are love these, puffins uh, they're so cute orange beak and they are really cute and but due to climate change they are their num numbers will be dropping uh, very quickly so BTO, the British Thrust of Ornithology, they published a report on climate change and the breeding birds in the UK and how they, it will affect it. And they they said that like the puffins will be one of the species that has the most impact uh, or, or will suffer from, from it the most. No, not the yeah, puffins. Yeah, so that's quite sad because the sea is warming up. So they, they feed their young with, with, with fish. So they bring them to their young. But... Um, yeah, so because the sea is warming up, these fish are disappearing. So the, the birds will disappear as well. So I'll, I'll go there now in June next year during the breeding season of the puffins. And I will make a story about about these puffins and uh, climate change. So for me, that's also a, yeah, a thing to look forward to, but also a sad story. And I've, I struggle with that sometimes. That's... I see that, but it's important yeah. to tell it. 
like yeah, that's that's is. the but, thing but it's hard for me that sometimes i only i'm working on a lot of like sad projects <laughs> and it's hard to get like positive if you're only working on these negative things so that's for me sometimes a little bit uh, a drawback of the <laughs> of being an artist in this way yeah yeah it sounds like a doctor working at a cancer ward it's like yeah it is i'm, I'm like yeah. you're doing a you're you're doing a good job and you're helping people you're also telling somebody every day they have cancer it's it's it must yeah. be a struggle and yeah. how do you like bring yourself out of these moments because like well, how know. how do you find hope in this sea of darkness <laughs> sorry about the question but it's, i couldn't phrase <laughs> it any other way um yeah for me it helps then when i see that people are interested and they, they they want to talk with me about it and i think that helps a lot and for me personally it it works a lot for me to just start drawing and as soon as i'm drawing or painting then i i lose track of time and i'm not thinking about the, the bad things anymore <laughs> and i'm just making making and that's i think that's for me a key element in this um but yeah sometimes it is a little bit depressing and I, and then i think yeah this is what i can do this is how i can contribute in a way so i think that's the positive thing i can <laughs> i can add so so it's good to focus then on that i think yeah yeah and, and now that we're looking at the future the next question it's like the last question is where do you think we're going in when it comes to the 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 next step in human development, and I don't mean that in human evolution, I mean in like how we educate ourselves, how, how do we share information with each other as as an artist, you know that during the Renaissance, for example, you could go to a master and say, master, I want to teach, I want you to teach me how to paint. And then you would yeah. learn from one person. But now with the Internet, you can have teachers from all over the world. You have access to so much information. Where do you think we will go next? Where do you think we should go next? What skills do you think should be fomented that's not a word um encouraged yeah that's no. a word encouraged yeah that's a word <laughs> um i think especially because you say that like we can get our information from everywhere and i think a lot of people are doing that and like they're losing themselves and like all the opportunities and all the 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 places they can go and all the things they can learn i think it might be good to to focus more on the place where you are and to start um, start getting your food at, at, uh, more locally and to start looking around you when you walk in the streets or go into a forest and to learn from, from what you see around you instead of like picking from everything that is far away and like making a mixture of everything. It might be really good to to just focus again on, on your own surroundings and and learn from that and learn from your friends and from your family. And I think that's very important. Um, I just yesterday had a conversation with my girlfriend about like, we were walking on the streets and we saw how many people were like only sitting on the couch and watching the telly and seeing other places in the world instead of seeing their own place. And I think it might be really interesting to start focusing more on, on your own place and to make something beautiful out of the place where you are instead of only looking at places around you. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I was listening to a pod to another podcast because I love podcasts the other day and they were talking about um, uh, volunteer tourism. That's when somebody goes to another mm -hmm. country, usually a person from a first world country goes to a third world country yeah. and they do volunteer work, but it's more about 
the traveling and uh, feeling like they're doing something good and their impact is not as high. And the speaker was recommending doing exactly that instead of traveling to another country to do volunteer work to help somebody in need. Just yeah. look in your street, look in your city, look in your community, and you'll find somebody in need that you can support. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that's the ethos of what you're saying. It's like start local, start at home. Like take a, you don't have to travel four hours to see something beautiful. You can see something beautiful at home if you really look. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And yeah, it's yeah. Even I, I live in like one of the most densely populated places in the Netherlands, I guess, and. Even here, you have beautiful spots of nature. If you just like cycle for a few minutes, it's you can always find a nice spot. And and also the urban places can be very beautiful as well with a lot of wildlife. And yeah, there's so much to see, even short distance. And also so many people in, indeed that need help and that that you can help. So I really think that, that you're absolutely right in what you were saying. Yeah, I love that. Well, we have made it to the end of the show. Thank you so much. Before I let you go, I would like to ask if you have any recommendations for the listeners. Like, what can you recommend? It can be books, movies, a comic book, a graphic novel. I think those two are the same. Uh, podcast, other artists, your own work. Just plug away. I love writing super long short no uh, show notes and just adding all them links. So, yeah, what would you like to recommend? Um, yeah, now that we're talking about so many podcasts already in this podcast, it might be good to add one. What yes. helped me a lot during the beginning when I started being an artist, because I didn't have a, an education like in, in how to run a business and an art business. Um, there's this podcast, Ask an Artist, it's called. It's, it's a podcast. Um, I th oh, oh, I should look it up by whom. <laughs> no worries. I'll Google it and I'll, I'll find it. And this podcast it really focuses on all the different aspects um, that you that you yeah that you encounter as an artist. So um, how do you talk with with uh, gallery holders? But also what types of materials do you use? How do you make your your time schedule, your planning, and like all different aspects? And it's really nice and interesting. And each time they they talk again with a different artist or with a with uh, uh, someone who makes the paint and with a gallery holder and it's really informative and it was really nice for me to see that other people are struggling with the same kind of things and <laughs> yeah so that really helped me a lot in the beginning yeah that's awesome i'll add it to the show notes then and if i may recommend you something and i'm gonna say this i, I already recommended this in the last episode but it's still relevant <laughs> uh, there is this book by an illustrator called uh it's a german illustrator uh, felix scheinberger Super nice guy. It's an illustrator from Berlin. And the, his book is called uh, 100 Ways to Draw a Bird. So okay. he looked for, yeah, he looked for 100 illustrators, artists, and it's a mixture of learning how to illustrate, but also learning how other people illustrate. So something it's very minimalistic and something is very elaborate. And it's just a nice combination of how different people do art with the same subject matter and how diverse everything can be. And oh, Great. Yeah. And the people listening must be like, is she selling this book? No, I'm not selling it. I'm just a fan. <laughs> I'll definitely check it out. It's very interesting. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, I just want to say again, thank you so much for being here, Rafael. It was, this was amazing. I really enjoyed it. It's again, you're the good, you're a perfect combination of science-y person and artsy person. It's not something you see very often. It's very rare. So you're a rare bird, if I may say so. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I really like talking with you. And yeah, I, I for me it was also a way of like finding out like what I want to do. And in the end, I ended up doing this. And I hope I will keep doing this and make some more nice stories. Yeah. Awesome. Well. Thank you, dear listener, for being with us here today again. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Rafael is happy that he was here. So that's a success for me. And I am also like enjoying myself. And I hope you enjoyed listening to us. Uh, you'll find links to his work in the show notes and recommendations and everything. Just go check it out. And yeah, I hope to be in your ears again very soon. So let's say goodbye to the, to the listeners. Bye, Bye listeners. <laughs>